I already want paradise. Yeah. I don't want to have to construct everything anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. The chairs are creaking. But... <laughs> Welcome to Bleach's BBC, the Quarantine Q edition, where I meet influential people of Berlin to hear about their life story and how it's affected by the Corona crisis of 2020. You can find more information at www.bleachesbbc.tumblr.com. We're available now on all good podcast services. Please subscribe and rate us if you can. Today, I have a legend of the Berlin scene, of the performance art scene, of the dance scene, and of the theatre. I have none other than Bridge Markland, a virtuose of role-play and transformation, famously making their work through the 90s and 2000s in gender performance, as well as now in their stages on theatres, and on movies. Bridge, how are you today? I'm good, I'm good. I'm relaxed. <laughs> I'm relaxed. I'm reading a lot. I'm archiving. I'm taking breaks. I'm archiving. <laughs> I'm meeting very few friends, a little bit. I'm archiving. I I'm breathing. It's, it's the big 35 years on stage. This exactly, week. exactly. Cheers <laughs> to that. Yes. Yay. Well done, Bridge. And I was spending it on my sofa <laughs> watching an um, amazing show of Venus Boys. <laughs> The Drag Kings, not the movie that I was part of. <laughs> I mean, we're going to fast forward through everything, but it starts off your life. You're born in Berlin in 61. Yes. You're an only child. Yes. How was young life in Berlin for you? Um, good, good, good. West Berlin. The hmm. important thing is I was born in West Berlin, so um, I like... When we moved into this high-rise uh, apartment building in Spandau, I, I think we moved there when I was two and a half or something, mm. so I don't remember the other apartments too well. I had my own room, I had friends downstairs that I played with, uh, a couple of years later we had a garden for a number of years. When you took a bike, you could ride to the forests because Spandau has a lot of forestry. So it was actually pretty good. It sounds good. And did you, did you, you've grown up to be the bold, gender-bending lady that we know. Was, it, was you a queer child? Did you fit in? How was you for you? Um, in the 70s, I was a teenager. And the 70s, uh, the early 70s were all about glam rock. Mm. So I, when I was 12, I became a very big fan of the English glam rock band, The Sweet. And those were men with long hair and a lot of glitter and glamour and singing Wigwam Bam, Teenage Rampage, Ballroom Blitz, Blockbuster and all that. And I had all their posters on my walls. 
And I adored men with long hair, a little <laughs> bit of makeup, and a lot of glitter, and high heels. I mean, those were the big um, glam rock shoes, the platform mm. shoes that people were wearing at that time. So all that kind of stuff. And that kind of stayed with me. So I always adored men with glitter and glamour and like androgyny. Mm. And a little later, I also adored David Bowie. And uh, I wanted a pinstripe suit like David Bowie. And my mom actually bought one for me. And then I wore the male pinstripe suit with long hair and a little bit of makeup, yeah. you know. So <laughs> there was always this androgynous thing. Mm. And in the school theater company, when I was 13, I, I joined the school theater and we did a play called uh, After a Grimm's Fairy Tale and the play is called The Devil uh, with the Three Golden Hairs. I don't know if you call it that mm. in English, but it's a famous German fairy tale. And what did I play? A male role, and I played the king yes. because there weren't enough boys in the theater <laughs> company. So that was the start of the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it set you up for being a credible drag king. <laughs> so I mean, I hear you shaved your head in the nineteen nineties. Yes, this was the first time going into androgyny day to day life. And you started to work on dance workshops and engrave yourself in the night scene. Um, that was already dance workshops and night scene was already in the 80s. How was the night scene in the Berlin in the 80s? Mm, pretty incredible. I mean, there was one club in particular that I would go to. It was called the Jungle, the, the Jungle, mm. the Jungle, the Jungle. Um, and that was like very hip to the 80s folks. I, I think I started going there at the very end of 1979 when I was just doing A-levels or something like that. Um, and the hippest and craziest of the Berlin, West Berlin folks would go there. Mm. And uh, you would see an intense mixture of punks and new wave and... Rastafaris and fashion freaks and and uh, you name it yeah. everything and um, it was not such a large club it was in a 1950s cafe mm. it was the the design the interior design was still like a 1950s ice cream parlor yeah. <laughs> and the bag they had turned into the dance floor area but it was all like in tiles and the lighting was really bright because that was very fashionable at that time to have like neon lights or something mm. as the lighting, fluorescent lights. Um, and um, in the front there was this amazing bar and there was a round staircase going up to the top and the furniture was all 50s. And people were all like dressed up and cool and people wouldn't talk to each other. That was very much new wave yeah, yeah. that we were all so cool and wouldn't talk to each other. <laughs> so I would always go there like early, be the first one on the dance floor, make like an incredible appearance and crazy dance improvisation 
where people wouldn't really look at you because they were so proud that they were like only maybe from the from the corner of their eyes, like there's something interesting going on, but I am so cool, I can't look there. <laughs> so you had to be really, really intense to get looked at at all, if that would ever happen. Yeah. So, but it was also a place where people would pick up each other and have love affairs or relationships and, um, and a lot of famous musicians, movie stars, directors, everybody would go there. Yeah. So it was the place to be. And it was kind of my home throughout most of the 80s, I mean, in a way. Fabulous. And I mean, you were dancing through the 80s. How did it turn onto the stage? When was the first stage appearance? Um, in 84, I mm. went to a congress thing on expressive dance, on Ausdruckstanz, as we say in German. Um, I think it's called like, expressive dance, but um, I'm not mm. sure. Maybe it's also something else. Like, um, And um, there we would meet teachers and, and people who had actually been active in the 20s, and some of them were still alive in their 80s by that time. So that was really exciting mm. to meet these older folks and then also take workshops with people that had been their students. And here I was like drawing in all this uh, amazing knowledge on like the dance history. And here I met two other women and we decided to form a company And in 85, on the 25th of May, which this week was Monday, <laughs> um, we had our first um, stage show, which was a part of a Werkstatt, and then like, um, what's the English word for that? Like, uh, um, it was in the Tanzfabrik, the dance mm. factory. Tanzfabrik in Berlin-Kreuzberg and they had this evening where students of theirs could show short work. So we weren't students before this showing, but we were allowed to be part of it. They let us in there and afterwards we became students there. So we took a lot of workshops and we worked with them and we appeared in some of their dance performances. So we had this uh, workshop showing Uh, for two nights and it was a big success and we had worked for many months on this like 10 minute piece that we performed it was called the hand and i was actually <laughs> doing a structured like within it we were three women on stage within it i was doing a structured dance improv on a wall a piece of wall between two windows and it was all about silent movie gestures so i had been very influenced uh, with silent movies and expressive dancing and stuff like that. So that's how it started. And then we worked on more short performances. And I think by 86, we did our first long show. And then unfortunately, one of our members left, but she became like our director and our manager, but she didn't want it to be on stage anymore. And then we started working with other people as guests in the company. And uh, in 87, we went to New York City for the first time mm -hmm. for a month. 
and one of our guest members had lived in New York City before. So she knew uh, the scene a little bit. And so we, we just hopped around New York City trying to find little possibilities for gigs. Yeah, yeah. And we walked into the knitting factory, which at that time was one month old, um, and asked if we could get a gig there. And the guy who ran at Michael Dorf, he's like, sure, are you from Berlin? Oh, that's exciting. Well, how about in two weeks, Saturday night, 7 p.m., you have one hour. And half an hour later, you have to be completely out of the space because the next band is going to play. <laughs> and we're like, great, we have a gig in New York. <laughs> like, we can do a whole show, not just 10 minutes yeah, or yeah. something. So... And later, the Knitting Factory became insanely famous and they had a record label and they had a much larger venue. So, and then when I told people that I performed at the Knitting Factory in their first month of existence, they were all like, oh my God, how did you do that? Well, we just walked in and asked Michael Dorf. And then much later, you could never talk to him anymore. By now, I'm not sure that anybody knows about the Knitting Factory anymore, if it still exists, but... I mean, it's something to look up. It's something to look up. And I mean, from that, you obviously were inspired by New York. You started to travel to New York regularly in the 90s to be influenced and perform and yes. be inspired. Yes. From 91 to 94, I went like three, four months a year. Not only to New York City, but a large chunk of that. And I would work my, my butt, my ass off in Berlin to make money to afford that. But I also had three grants from the government to help me. And um, spent like crazy wild times in New York, taking dance classes, going clubbing like crazy. And... Um, uh, dance classes, dance workshops, and I also performed in a lot of um, different, um, they had a lot of uh, evenings where you could just go in the beginning and, and ask, like, um, like, tell them you wanted to perform later. And, like, the first people, the first 10 people who mm. said that they wanted to perform got in. It was that kind of like, I forgot what it was called, but it has a certain name. And there were a lot of these possibilities in New York. So I did a lot of that. You wouldn't make any money with it, but you got exposure. You talked to people, you met other artists. So that was great fun. And then I was also ushering, mm -hmm. what they called it, um, working in several different performance venues like the kitchen is a very important and big and amazing place and then St. Mark's Church and ushering in that case meant that you would be in the backstage you come a while before the show started you would fold the programs and then you would like when people the audience started to come in you would usher them to their seats and you would also hand out programs and that wasn't paid, but you could see the show for free. Mm. Often you could meet the artists in the backstage, at least for a hello or some little exchange. And so I could see a lot, I could watch a lot of shows like that because I wasn't wealthy or anything. So watching a lot of shows would have been too costly. Mm. And I would always have to figure out how to finance 
um, these long stays in New York. And also I was taking care of different people's apartments, like taking care of their cats, watering their plants, uh, turning on the light, the radio, yeah, so yeah. that people would break in and all that whole... And people actually handed me around in a way because they were like, oh, this German is so reliable. <laughs> you can get her too to take care of your place while you're on holiday, etc., etc." So that's how I uh, had different places to stay in. Nice. Mm. And was you performing... So, I mean, obviously you had the dance and you do perform grotesque dance. Mm -hmm. How did drag kinging sort of come into all this and gender bending? Um... In the late 80s, with my company still, I mean, we stopped working together in, like, 92, though the last part that was happening was already only my project, in a way. But um, in the late, like, 89, 90, we worked on a new show um, where, at that moment, we were two people uh, performing on stage in different roles and one musician. So the third member for that one was a drummer. And uh, my partner and I, we both changed roles. She played um, two female and one male character and I played two male and one female character. And it was kind of a crime story mm. where we constantly would change roles back and forth and back and forth. And that's uh, a lot also where it started. And I worked with the director on the male roles and she helped me get into the physical, like uh, how men, how a fat man would pull up his uh, trouser, his pants, trouser legs yeah. to sit down. And I had a fat suit made for that by a costume designer and I'm still using that fat suit from 1989. Nice. I'm still using that for my Carl performance and that Carl, that fat man, was created in 1989 so he was one of my first drag king characters and he's still there yeah. and he's an old fat man and he's 65 and once that I turn 65 he finally becomes older. But I'm still not 65 so... This is really quite fun that he's still there. And um, that's how I started doing drag stuff. But I, like the artistic inspiration came in the late 70s. Mm. There was a Brazilian drag performance company in Berlin at that time. And they... they um, were in a bar restaurant in Charlottenburg where they performed and people were flooding into this performance and I just reread the article from back then which I kept still um, in the tip magazine and the company was called Los Stupidas and it was not just superficial drag it was actually very political and they weren't allowed to perform in Brazil with the mm. show that they were doing. So they all lived in France. So they came, they toured all of Europe and they especially came to Berlin and they had a lot of fans here. And I saw that show five times. Yeah. And I also went to Rumi Haag. Mm. 
Rumi Haag is a um, famous Dutch transsexual who had a club uh, in West Berlin called She Rumi Haag, where David Bowie would hang out. <laughs> and it's also pretty well known that they had an affair back then. And he would steal from her, and you can find it in some of his videos from then. <laughs> but he would steal from a lot of people or get inspired, mm. or however you want to call it. Um, so the Umi Haak, uh, I also went there with 17 by myself, and I'm watching all those men in drag. So all this influenced me very much, and I always kind of had this thing that I wanted to do drag. And then finally it happened... 10 years later. Um, and I mean, all that inspiration and that time in New York built, I presume, to your solo show in Berlin, Bridgeland Zwei. Yes. Yes. I did a lot of research for that show over a number of years, actually, that I would have costumes made, female, or bought a man's suit or something like that. And... Um, I had a female costume made, like a very nice silk dress, and I created Angela Glamour, and she would go to parties in Berlin-Zehlendorf, um, where a bit more well-off people lived, and, and they went to these parties, and like one guy would invite me to drinks, and, and I was wearing this big red wig with uh, long hair and curls and la 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 and he was like the whole evening he was flirting with me telling me oh i love your hair i love your hair he could have said something like i like your eyes or something you have a nice smile none of that it was only about my hair the whole evening and and then at some point he wanted to start touching me and i said stop for a second and he was very confused and then I took the wig off and I had a shaved head underneath and he was screaming like hell what are you doing to me what are you doing to me and out of that I created the most beautiful woman in the world where she does a strip tease and takes her hair off and has a shaved head underneath so that guy had a shock for life, but he helped me create my performance for life. So mm. I mean, that iconic performance, you strip down to your tape tits mm -hmm. and your tongue comes out and you show off some of that grotesque experiment dancing. Yes. And then we see you back as Carl. Am I correct? No, no, no. The that's Steve. 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 <laughs> the name comes from the bass player from the suite, yeah. whose name is Steve Priest. Mm. And I called mine Steve Prick. <laughs> ha ha. Um, and um, uh, I also had a t-shirt when I was a teenager with Steve on it. But that was definitely also for this for the bass player of the suite who was my I was adore that was my teenage adoration adoration of a rock musician like oh, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally adore him. It was not Brian the singer or the blonde singer, but I was into the bass player. And I mean, you took that short performance and other short performances on tour across America, Europe, Australia, and of course it was iconically shown in the movie Venus Boys. Yes. 
in 2001. How was your experience on set and filming with the other kings? Um, I got into the film because in 1996, when I was visiting New York, I got to perform... Um, like everybody told me there's this great drag king club happening and mm. you're gonna have to perform there and Moby Dick mm. was doing it, a great drag king who's also still active. Um and um I asked introduce myself and they said sure and I performed there and then Gabrielle Bauer, the director of Venus Boys, saw me perform. She was there the same evening. And after the performance, she came to me and said, You have to be in my movie. And that was in 1996. Mm. And it took her four more years to get the money together. And in the year 2000, it was finally filmed. So I had to be in New York again a couple of weeks for that. And they paid for the flight and everything. And we had a pretty great time because she organized this big show at the Slipper Room, which also still exists, I think, in a bigger and better venue now. Mm. Um, and a lot of New York drag kings were there. Adela Grace Volcano was there, who's from the US but was living in London at that time he now lives in Sweden um, and has children there and everything uh, and uh, I was the only German drag king in the whole film so this was actually a very fun um, thing and I'm also during the filming and before the show, I was in, in female drag already because that's how I start off. And I walked around uh, that quarter where the slipper room was, which was kind of more a poor area of Manhattan at that time. And I walked around there in female drag. And then some of the Latin Americans that were hanging out there, they were completely into her and they were trying to pick me up and like, saying uh, things to me like blah, blah, blah. Um, I wrote some short stories about that one and one even offered me to take Viag Viagra <laughs> must have been some party drug also <laughs> apart from its normal use so, and I was like why do you think I have to take Viagra <laughs> do you think I look like I have to take Viagra. And then like there, there was like this really silly dialogue going on. So that was... Um, and then at some point, the director of Venus Boys came and rescued me because he was getting like, oh, you have to try it. Please come with me. Oh, you're so good looking. And then she came and rescued me and I was glad I got away from that strange guy. <laughs> but it was very funny. So... I used to always like to dress up in various forms of drag and go into the public mm. because it's always interesting what happens. I'm not doing that very much anymore, but I used to in the 90s a lot. Also, how um, uh, in 91, I took part in the first drag king workshop that Diane Tor did who unfortunately died three years ago. 
Um, but she created these man for a day workshops mm. where uh, people can become a man for a day. And um, that was the first one, and it was held in Annie Sprinkle's apartment, 1991. And we all... Um, Put on mustaches and and then we were and, and the others bound their breasts down. Mine are not very big, so I don't have to do that. And then we went out in the street and into public places. And later, I kept going myself by myself, not in a big group anymore. And I went to a gay club, and um, there some guys wanted to take me to the toilet. <laughs> So they thought I was a gay man. <laughs> I mean, you are a very convincing man, Bridge. A great actor. And I mean, I guess we can bring to our first song on the cue this today. Sure. There is a song for the past. You've chosen Teichkind Denke Sie Groß. Yes. <laughs> Shall we hear it now? Yes. Think big. <laughs> Think big, and I mean the lyrics there were like aim big, grow big, hit what you need, inspire. There's a genius inside of you, yes. and of course in German, and of course you've written poetry yourself. Yes. With similar texts, what's your poetry lay around? No, not similar <laughs> texts to that really. Um, oh, it's been a long time since I wrote poetry, mostly in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, and then unfortunately I kind of stopped. Um, a lot of it had to do with uh, when I was either in love or just out of love and heartbroken, or when I was feeling very horny, or when I was going partying and clubbing, and how I thought that techno music was uh, very erotic, and some of the lyrics were very explicit sexually, in the 90s particularly. I, but now, with 59, I wouldn't really write stuff like that anymore, but... Um, I have a good friend who who made music to those uh, uh to this poetry and he wants to release it very soon and I'm like oh my god and now with 59 it's a lot of it's about fucking and sex and my hormones have completely gone down I 
still uh, like erotic things, but it's not like the first thing on my brain anymore like it used to when I was in my 30s or 20s or something. So I'm like, interesting. <laughs> that is so interesting. <laughs> I mean, it'd be exciting for us to all hear. Hopefully, I hear they're on the name the sour crowds. No, the crazy crowds. The crazy crowds. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Look out for the crazy crowds coming out soon with Bridge Markland. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, in 2002, here in Berlin, you hosted, organized, and put together the drag king show, females cross dressing, go drag. How was this festival for you? Um, when I was shooting for Venus Boys in 2000, was that in 2000 that I talked to Diane about it? Really? Already? Or was it in 2001? Should have been uh, 2001. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But we were sitting together and that's why this song that we just mm. played by Daishkin, which means Think Big, it fits very well to this meeting that I had with Diane. Because we were sitting together and thinking, ah, oh, there's like sometimes these small festivals and small parties and small gigs of drag kings, la la la. And we were like buffing each other going, hey, let's think big. Yeah. Let's think one month long. Let's think international performers. Uh, let's think workshops. Let's think film program. Let's think parties. Um, etc. And we were really thinking big and making this plan. And then I went home, uh, and that was definitely in New York that we met for tea and had this uh, meeting in a, a deli in New York or something, like a diner, in a diner or a cafe, whatever. And I went home and I wrote on the grant application for five months, which is really long time. And I was the whole time, it was very uh, like, this has to happen and we need this and we have to think big, we have to think big. So I wrote this application da, 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 and I got help from uh, some knowledgeable people and then I handed it in and uh, a couple of months later, it takes about three months before you know, they actually said yes to the festival and I was like, oh my God. We can do it. So, and then we organized this festival and I had a small team of great people working together and it took us like, we had five months before it had to be up and I had all these international performer contacts that mostly were given to me by Diane because she had worked with all these people from different countries. And so we invited Zupfrau, which was a company from Denmark, Sweden, Norway. Uh, I don't know if there was another... Iceland? Something like that. Mm. It was really interesting because a lot of Nordic countries. Seven women or something. And they were all actresses and uh, doing this incredible dragging show. And I have a video of all... I have videos of all the people who performed for Go Drag. It's all there in my archives. And, um, yeah, so for the opening of, of the exhibit, there was also a photo exhibit. That was another thing. 
for the opening of the exhibit and evening of short performances, over 400 people came and completely flooded us. And it was a very crazy evening. And there's also video material of the opening show. And when the drag kings, different drag king uh, companies and, and solo performers performed, people like how the audience would cheer and go completely crazy. It was really amazing. And then we had, we had like every international performer or company perform two or three times. And people would come to see the shows. Of course, not 400 for each of the shows. It was more normal, kind of. <laughs> um, and, but usually the evenings with the short performances were the most packed. And um, it was also the year that Venus Boys had been at the Berlinale. The premiere had been mm. at the Berlinale in February. And the festival took place in June, July 2002. 2002 was the year. The website is still there. It's called www.godrag.de. So you can still look it up. I keep it up for archival purposes. I won't take it down. Um, so big success and Diane and I organized it together. She did a long workshop with several people and they also did a showing. So, um, unfortunately, afterwards, I was very exhausted and I would have needed support to keep mm. going and do more of these festivals. But that never happened. It, it wouldn't happen that the community was getting out of it, um, which was very sad. I'm, I'm still grieving a little bit about that one, but I'm not such a community person. So... That needs special characters who are very good at having people around them. There was another festival that Pia Tillman did in 2008. She was a member of the Kings of Berlin and they mm. were also performing at the Go Drag Festival. And she uh, also did a Drag King Festival that was funded by the same funding um, that we got money from. Um, in 2008, then she did her own festival. So, but that was the only ones that I know of in Berlin that happened. Well, hopefully we're going to hit the 20 year anniversary soon. I say we put the groundwork in and see Go Drag Go for the second time in 2022. Well, there you go, there you go. <laughs> well, you guys are very good at community building, so who knows? Might all be possible. I'm, I'm glad we're connecting here. <laughs> and I mean, from your uh, short performances and your solo show in 96, you start to step into more theatrical works where you reshape and uh, engage with classics such as Faust and Schiller. Yeah. German classics and put a drag edge on it. You put pop music to these new uh, theatre pieces. How's that experience been for you? Have you enjoyed it? Yes, 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 yes. Did you always enjoy Schiller and Faust? <laughs> Schiller is an author. He's a famous uh, German poet, um, classical poet, like Goethe. You might say Gothi or something, but the German pronunciation is Goethe. And Goethe wrote Faust. 
Mm. Well, there's of course an English-speaking Faust, which of course is older than the German Faust. I know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> By Christopher Marlowe. Um, so, okay. Um, in 2005, mm. I was asked by a um, group of artists here in Berlin, Neukölln, to uh, produce a piece on Friedrich Schiller because he had a special anniversary that year. And they all, they were planning a festival around Schiller and their um, meeting space was in the Schiller Promenade around the corner here and we would meet there and, and like be organized as artists and have get togethers and stuff. That was when Neukölln still wasn't hip at all. So the artists had to really flock together and do solidarity stuff and performances and like make something positive in Neukölln. So I was like, okay, Schiller, oh my God, what do I do with Schiller? And in 1995, I had started using a cardboard box for um, performances. And today, it, during archiving, I actually found the performance that it was created for. Mm. And I, I found the text, which is like poetry, actually, that I wrote for this first performance that I did in the cardboard box. So, uh, and after the first performance, I started doing several other shorter performances, which I put together in a show called In the Box. And all these performances had bio biographies in it. And I would put famous people's biographies in collage with pop songs. And I used Anita Berber, a famous uh, um, and scandalous woman from the 1920s in Berlin. Naked dancer, expressive dancer, um, poet, um, etc. She only became 29. Then also Valeska Gerd, uh, who was a very famous in the 1920s for her grotesque dance. And she became really old and, and died in her late 80s, um, in the late 70s. So I put those two ladies in the box with pop songs and their biography snippets. And so now I was like, okay, biographies, the box, and they asked me to do something about Schiller. Let's put Schiller in the box. Mm. So I put him in the box and made a collage of his work and pop songs and I performed as Friedrich Schiller meaning a male role meaning a drag king mm. meaning in theatrical speech it's a pants role or a trousers role or a breeches role or in German you would say Hosenrolle which is a normal saying for women who would play men on stage not all women who play men on stage are drag kings mm. necessarily that's more a modern term. Um, <clears throat> so I would play Friedrich Schiller with a wig and with a great costume that looks from 18 or 17 something something. Really cool. And his uh, girlfriends and lovers and uh, male friends and what they're all like Barbie and Ken dolls. And there's a lot of pop songs in between. 
And this was a really interesting performance I did called Chiller in the Box in 2005. And, and people liked it very much. And then after I did this, I decided, okay, I'm going to continue with classical themes. Mm. And I picked Faust by Goethe, which I had loved very much as a teenager when we read it in school, because a lot of school kids in Germany had to read this play, which has a lot of text in it, but also very interesting quotes, which are used in everyday language, and a lot of people don't even know about it. Mm. So I took this famous play and I edited it shorter and I used a lot of pop songs in there, like when the devil, Mephistopheles, appears for the first time, the Rolling Stones uh, do Sympathy for the Devil. Or when Faust comes for the first time and he's always depressed and he doesn't know what to do with himself, we have Robbie, Robbie Williams with Feel, where he's also like, I don't know if I should live or die and blah, and I want to talk to God, but... Uh, so it fits very well. Stuff like that. And Madonna, when, when Gretchen meets Faust and she kind of falls in love and, and then she's like, oh, I'm a, like a virgin from Madonna and stuff like that. So people thought it was really funny. When I did this, when I performed this with, with hand puppets, out of the box again, so it's Faust in the box. And it became really successful, this play, and I toured uh, a lot in the United States at different universities for the German departments and at a lot of Goethe institutes, which got their name from the famous author from the play. So... Um, but also because I also did an English version of this play. I have a German version and I also have an English version of it. So at the universities I would often do one evening in German and one evening in English. So this for the students it was really interesting and then they could learn German better if they also understood it in English, but also they had the German, the English speaking pop songs in there. La, la, la. And I continued doing this series of classic in the box performances until today. I, I kept doing one after another German um, theater piece. And the whole thing is um, done with different puppets and I'm changing roles constantly. I'm lip syncing. That's the, the most important part. I'm lip syncing the whole text of the theater piece and the pop songs, so it's a basically a drag show. I mean, you're using the drag techniques exactly. on classical theater pieces. Exactly. It's fun. Yes, <laughs> and I have actors doing the voiceovers for me, and then we make an intricate soundtrack from the snippets of pop songs with the theater text, and then I have to learn the lip syncing and do all the different roles, and it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And I mean, that's an exciting series. And then you obviously had a f shows lined up and performances at festivals. And then here comes Corona. Yes. And shuts down the world and obviously your tour plan. How, how was the first few weeks of Corona for you? Um, a couple of gigs got cancelled or pushed forward to future dates that don't exist yet because nobody knows when the venues will be open. One gig 
already has a certain date, but we're all hoping that I can perf really perform on October 10th. <laughs> but a couple of the others don't have any dates yet. And for next year, I'm like, oh, I hope that I will get new and more gigs. Um, I have some in the beginning of the year, but um, a lot of the other people where shows got canceled might who are more famous than me might get gigs easier because they have to get their gigs back that they lost this year. La la la. So it's going up and down. But I did um, three live stream performances already. The first one uh, received so many donations from friends and fans that I was very, very touched that people just totally know and hear in the news that artists are starving and lost all their jobs and will be the last ones mm. to be able to work again. And um, so this it still goes on that every time I look into my account, there is a little donation from someone again. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cute. They want to let me go. They want to... Get, have me keep going and it's very sweet so um and that was at aha ah and the broad fabric yes, in berlin yes exactly but i also took part in a queer cabaret from my friend patrick in minneapolis and he was hosting the show from minneapolis and everybody performed live for just under 10 minutes and we were all in different parts of the world like someone was in washington dc one was uh, dancing in Romania, two of us were performing in Berlin. Uh, it was from all over, so that was very exciting. And it happened all in one hour, and the audience was from all over as well. So this is the exciting part mm. of Zoom and Corona, that suddenly people who are all at home, not leaving really, can come together in one event online and share this great experience. So that's the beauty of it. No, definitely. And I guess that brings us on to your third song, a song for the now, the present. You've chosen uh, Du Musst Gear, Nix, by Distiana. Uh, du musst gar nichts. Du musst gar nichts. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. That's what that means. Here we go. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. But he's not, not going to start what you don't have to do. You don't have to be the first. You don't have to be the second. You don't have to have a birthday. You don't have to um, party on your birthday. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to eat, you don't have to drink, you don't have to smoke, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you don't have to meet my brother, you don't have to climb on mountains, you don't have to fly kites, you don't have to be doing double as much as everyone else. You don't have to go outside because the sun is shining. You don't have to call. You don't have to chat. You don't have to look at your mail. 
You don't have to pray. And you don't have to go to church. <laughs> you don't have to climb on anything. You don't have to do salt or And nothing you have you don't have to think about anything today. You don't have to have a thought. You don't have to think. You don't have to turn around. You don't have to change your your opinion and you don't even have to have an opinion. You don't have to get up. And you don't have to go to bed. You don't have to talk. And you don't have to answer questions. <laughs> that one's good. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You must garnish. Du must garnix by Distana. Bridge's second choice on the quarantine queue, and I mean, in the quarantine, you uh, lost gigs, but you saw them go online through live streams and through Zoom, and as well, how has your social life, how has your dance life changed in the quarantine times? <laughs> I've been taking part very actively in ecstatic dance online, like every Sunday. It's like going to a church, but I'm going <laughs> to ecstatic dance church, and I. Uh, log into Zoom and I take part in uh, Ecstatic Dance UK because that's the ones who do Sunday uh, noon, um, funnily, uh, which is an hour early. I mean, they start at 10 UK time, which is 11 here, but I always skip the first part because it's introduction and warm-up and I rather like to jump in when they start already um, so every week I'm doing that and that means I'm seeing everybody else in their small squares on the zoom thing like dancing in their living rooms or their gardens and something so this is Great, but of course I'm also missing going to ecstatic dance for real because the energy when there is a whole room full of people dancing and getting very ecstatic together is just unbeatable. You can't have that via Zoom. Mm. It's just not possible. But as long as it's not possible in any other way, this is my going to church on Sunday <laughs> and I, I do it every week. And I mean, ecstatic dance is uh, usually here in Berlin on a Thursday and Sunday, and it's a sober evening where people dance without shoes. Yes. And no drugs and no alcohol and just herbal tea and water and um, no talking on the dance floor, but just like a dance ritual meditation where you get high together through... Uh, mutual movement and, and ecstatic dancing together and it's really really quite beautiful and this has been invented in California uh, but and it exists uh, in many parts of the world I think even in Moscow so mm. um, there's uh, um, that's also the beauty of the online thing now that Berlin um, 
collaborated with Paris and Berlin collaborated with the UK and Berlin still collaborates now with uh, California because every Saturday night, they, Berlin doesn't do it on Sunday anymore, uh, but they're doing it Saturday night and that's morning for California and Saturday evening here. So you have California DJs and you can dance in your own living room and that's kind of cool and you have little people on the screen waving from Minnesota, from California, from Paris, wherever. And Sunday I have British DJs and I'm dancing with the British people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that happened through the cooperation with Berlin that I got into the British thing. So that is kind of beautiful. And I mean, so you've been dancing for 35 years and been on stage for 35 yes. years. How is, obviously in this moment you're doing it for a screen, but how do you feel drag and performance has changed on your 35th year? How do you engage with it now? Um, I'm very proud that in the last year, um, especially the drag king scene in Berlin has been very active and I feel they're all like my children and grandchildren coming up here and um, so I am not going to watch the shows all the time though through online I watch more of them as if I if going there because um, I'm at an age when I don't want to go to small, dirty and smoky clubs a lot anymore. I used to do that in the 70s and 80s and 90s and I'm a little <laughs> over that, especially the smoking part. And um, But uh, I'm very, very excited that there's all these young people coming up with incredibly talented performances. And, and totally reviving the thing when drag kingings seem to be dead a couple of times already, but it's mm. coming back in such a strong wave right now. And I'm really hoping that this will continue. And uh, the great thing is that um, what initiated this was Camp Dad watching the Venus Boys movie that I was fortunate to be part of as already talked about this so camp dad called uh, like initiated a collective and called it venus boys and last year um, somebody who went to see my show uh, came to me after the show and said well have you heard of the venus boys here in berlin and they're doing a show at silver future i'm like no wow they're called venus boys how interesting <laughs> amazing and she told me about it and she never let Go and then she would send me several emails about it. So I went, um, I think in July or something, and I walked into the room and Camp Dad with Gabe and was like, oh, We have Venus <laughs> Boys royalty here, I know exactly who you are. And I was like, Wow, that's great. <laughs> so this is how, how this started, and um, I'm, I'm totally proud and happy that it's continuing because it would be so sad this very creative form of art would die so um i mean it's brilliant and you're a brilliant figurehead and example to look up to and yeah. you've performed on that venus boy stage at silver future 
and even hosted a digital show in your own home. Yeah. It's been fabulous. That, that, that's so amazing. I was sitting in my living room and in the guest room, the Venus boys were on stage streaming uh, worldwide and I was sitting there being so proud of like, yeah, it's happening in my apartment. It's great. <laughs> I mean, fabulous, fabulous. I mean, Corona's hopefully winding down. You've had other artistic outlets other than the archive. I know you've been working on art pieces on chairs and furniture. Exactly. And I also did two uh, drag kingy movie thingy, like movies now, like film clips, videos. And how, how do you feel now when it seems like it's ending? How has the lockdown been for you? Has it been a time to reflect and engage yourself definitely i mean i had very very busy two years before 18 and 19 i had so many shows and i did a new long show but i was also very exhausted so i really needed relaxing time very much so it came for me it came at the right time and i was also kind of like okay great let everything go take a lot of breaks, read, relax, do archiving, and don't stress yourself out. So this is actually a very good time for me to, to do all that. So it's, it's also good. Good. And I mean, how do you, hopefully we come out of this good. I mean, a lot of your performance involve close interaction with audience members, even licking and feeding them bananas. <laughs> I mean, do you see us coming out of this stronger than before? How's, how's it been? Have you had a chance to think of theatre in a post-corona time? Yeah, there's, when I read uh, esoteric magazines, which I sometimes do a little bit, not very much, they're like, ah, oh, this is going to transform and a new society will emerge and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hmm, I doubt that a little bit. But I hope that there is a certain spark of uh, togetherness and solidarity and supporting each other in a time of need and also um, taking a sabbatical mm. when you're exhausted and the whole world shutting down. I mean, I would actually propose that every year there would be a two or three week sabbatical the corona sabbatical <laughs> and everything shuts down and and people uh, calm down and relax because it was very powerful mm. that on the whole planet this, this was happening um but i doubt that this would happen but i would like it um but like of free willingly it should happen and yeah. not yeah. uh put on us by some government saying you have to like now stay home and you can't see your friends and blah 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 but um, I am kind of doubting that humanity is advanced that far there's a couple of people who are and they will take those breaks and take a sabbatical blah 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 but not everybody I don't think so. There's always, unfortunately, also some mean characters happening um, who will come up with negative... Mm -hmm. But we don't have to concentrate on that too much. So um, I would like it if we look forward to something 
coming out of the title of the next song. I mean, I'm not meaning the whole lyrics of the song, because mm. I'm not so sure what that is about. It's, it's not so insanely positive, but the title of the song is kind of ingenious. This is what should come out of this whole crisis. Yeah. At least in, in spirit, even if it doesn't always happen, but in spirit, that's what should come up. So Bridget's third song on the Quarantine Clue is Coldplay with Paradise. Yes. from 2011 and Bridges' final choice on the quarantine queue here on Bleach's BBC. Now, I mean, a fabulous ending. Hopefully we will find paradise exactly. after all of this. <laughs> and uh, if we go into a further lockdown, I give you the full works of Shakespeare <laughs> and the Bible, and you get to choose a book of your own. What book would you take to a lockdown? Well, I have uh, uh, inherited from my last roommate, I've inherited very many books and I just read um, 
the Stieg Larsson, the Millennium Trilogy, and I read it in like three weeks, and it's three very heavy books. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually really good. I had a lot of fun with that. And now I'm at Ken Follett, uh, The Pillars of the Earth. Um, and there's this, this queer... Ah, what is it called? This queer book that I read about ten years ago. So that one's very good, but um, it's about trans and gender and and being. I would have to look it up. It's in the back room, and that's far away from here. So, and I'm actually meaning to give that to you, which that's is very silly that I'm coming out with like oh, it's a queer gender. <laughs> I don't know what the title is, but I actually have it in this apartment, but I can't reach it right now. Um, we'll find it and make sure that we put it up right. It'll be noted. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. That's embarrassing that I don't know the name right now. Uh, and um, if the lockdown hardens and the internet turns off, you have to choose one of these free songs. What song would you choose? Paradise. Thank you very much. And you get to choose a luxury in your lockdown. Any luxury in the world, what would you choose? A luxury? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, what kind of luxury do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This is, I forgot to ask this question to many people and I didn't prepare you in it. So it could be a, it could be a pen and paper, a never-ending musical, or it could be a good cup of tea. It could be a stream to ecstatic dance. It could be a dance floor. <laughs> uh, maybe um, some uh, somebody's goes cooking for me like delicious. Paleo food. I am not vegan. I'm more intellectual paleo. Stuff like that. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Bridge. That was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. It was always fun. <laughs> I love it. That was Bleach's BBC with the legendary drag king and dance performance artist Bridge Markland. I hope you enjoyed the show and you can listen to past episodes with other performers such as Persia and Judy Ladadavina. And if you'd like to see any more, please go to our website www.bleachersbbc.tumblr.com. You can also support Bridge and join their newsletter on their website, bridgemarkland.com. Thank you, Bridge. Bridge-markland.com. <laughs> and until next time, I hope you have a very good time. <laughs>